Father, we humble ourselves before you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you gave it to us that we might know you better, that you reveal yourself to us through it. We humble ourselves, desire to be taught, to take the things that maybe we just struggle with or the things you confront us with because we're in rebellion or we're in sin. God, I pray that you would convict us and that you would give us your grace to receive it and then to live it. Father, I pray that you would help us to get outside of our, our, uh, our own perspectives and outside of our own culture and just focus on what does the Bible say? <clears throat> it's hard to do, God, but Jesus, we don't want to read the scriptures as just 21st century Americans. We want to read it as humans who are in love with Jesus. We want to hear from your perspective, not our own. And so, God, I pray that you would teach convict and encourage whatever is necessary to make us look like Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody who agrees says, amen. His name is Nikolai Ionescu. I don't know if I got that right, but I'm trying. But he's also known, and maybe some of you guys have read this book or seen this book called Tortured for Christ. And uh, and he's known through that book, he kind of took on this name of Richard Wormbrand. He was born March 24th of 1909. He died the 17th of February in 2001. At the age of, uh, I'm sorry, in the year of 1938, he surrendered his life to Christ. He became a Romanian Lutheran priest and a professor. And as a pastor, he preached at bomb shelters and rescued Jews during World War II. Just humbly and sacrificially serving Jesus. No limelight, no celebrity, just Jesus and him. And because of his faithfulness to preach the gospel and live for the cause of the and live for the cause of Jesus, he was arrested and for 14 years he served in prison while being tortured. I remember part of his story, and that's, this is one of the main things that stood out to me. And what they would do is that they would he and other other followers of Jesus who were being tortured by the then uh, communist Romanian um, government or the leaders is they would take Christians and they would, they would attach them to a cross while they're on the ground and then they would defecate on them. And this is what he endured. And yet, he kept talking about Jesus. I remember a story where he would, he would be talking about Jesus and then the guards would come in because they'd already threatened him that if you talk about Jesus, then we're going to beat you. And so he actually had this, he had this idea. Well, if it makes you happy to beat me, but I really want to talk about Jesus... Why don't we go take care of the beating and then I can come back and I can talk about Jesus and then everyone's happy. And I sit and I read, when I was reading this book, I'm like, God, how do I get to that point? And he, and he, he, he writes this story of this Russian guard, this, and he's a pretty brutal guy, but he shared the gospel with him. And so it's a little bit lengthy, but I didn't think I could tell the story on my own very well. And so it'll be up on the screen as well. He wrote this, he said, I read to him the Sermon on the Mount and the parables of Jesus. After hearing them, he danced around the room in rapturous joy, proclaiming what a wonderful beauty. How could I live without knowing this Christ? It was the first time that I saw someone so joyful in Christ. Then I made a mistake. I read to him the passion and crucifixion of Christ without having prepared him for this. He had not expected it, and when he heard how Christ was beaten, how he was crucified, and that the end he died, he fell into an armchair and began to weep bitterly. He had believed in a Savior, and now his Savior was dead. 
I looked at him and was, I was ashamed. I had called myself a Christian, a pastor, and a teacher of others, but I had never shared the sufferings of Christ as this Russian officer now shared them. Looking at him, I was like, it was like seeing Mary Magdalene weeping at the foot of the cross, faithfully weeping when Jesus was a corpse in the tomb. Then I read to him the story of the resurrection and watched his expression change. He had not known that his Savior arose from the tomb. When he heard this wonderful news, he beat his knees and swore using very dirty but very holy profanity. Some of you guys think there's no way that can happen, and I beg to differ. This was his crude manner of speech. Again, he rejoiced, shouting for joy. He's alive. He's alive. He danced around the room once more, overwhelmed with happiness. I said to him, let us pray. And he did not know how to pray. He did not know our holy phrases. He fell on his knees together with me, and his words of prayer were, oh, God, what a fine chap you are. If I were you and you were me, I would never have forgiven you of your sins. But you are really a very nice chap. I love you with all of my heart. I think all the angels in heaven stopped what they were doing to listen to this sublime prayer from a Russian officer. The man had been won for Christ. All at the reading of the scriptures. To read the parables of Jesus. To read the Beatitudes of Jesus. And to have a man just listen to the scriptures and dance around the room. And then to be so overwhelmed by the crucifixion and death of the Savior that he just met. Not knowing the end of the story. And followers of Jesus, we need to remember, we don't live in a culture that knows the Bible stories we got to start from the beginning with people. They don't know all these references that we seem to know if we've been walking with Christ for a while. But oh, when he heard about the resurrection of Christ. Friends, he was so overwhelmed, he starts dancing around the room again. With holy profanity, worshiping Jesus. In relationship, forgiven. Right standing before God. See, as we, move, as we move through today's passage, we come across this statement. It's in the middle of the passage that we're looking at. Colossians chapter 1, 5 and 6, it says this. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth. I'm sorry, the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it always does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. When we read those verses, do we actually believe this? Do we see this? That this gospel, this word of the truth, is growing. It's bearing fruit. It's increasing. I mean, are we watching? Are we seeing these things happening? Or are we finding ourselves losing hope? Arizona Christian University came out with this, uh, this article, this study. The title of it was Declining Christianity Leads to Dramatic U.S. Religious Alignment. And in this article that I was reading this week, it says that there's been this big increase in, what's in, a, in a group called the don'ts. So what is that? These are the ones that don't believe in God, don't really care if he exists, don't care. They just don't give a rip. It's not like they're going, we're atheists or we're agnostics. They're like, we don't care. I mean, if there is one, I don't care. If there isn't one, I don't care. That's, do you see the difference? It says, I don't care about this. And yet we look at the statistics and there's been this steady decline of Christianity as the preferred faith in America. 
Read the statistic with me. It says, as recently as 1980, more than 90% of Americans claimed to be Christians. Now, here's the thing. I don't know that I actually believe that back in 1980, people are like, those were the good old days. I just don't believe that 90% of our country were true followers of Jesus because here, this was kind of like the standard. So long as you believed in God, you must be a Christian. It was kind of a cultural thing. Now, I don't doubt that there were, it seemed like there might have been more. There's more interest in church, but I also know that there was this cultural thing. Sundays, you go to church, and on Sundays, you wear your Sunday finest. I don't understand that concept. Jesus got to wear a robe everywhere he went, but we got to get all dressed up. What the heck? So he doesn't listen to me if I'm not wearing a collar? What the heck? But it's a cultural thing. But I do believe that there's been a difference. There's been a decline. I believe that goes on. Since that time, there has been a steady decline in self-identification with the nation's foundational faith. By 2010, three out of four adults claim to be Christians, and currently just under two out of three make the same claim. There's been this dramatic decline in Christian belief that's, for, that's seen in four key specific things. Watch this. The first one, belief in the existence of God as the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the universe who still rules the world today is down from 86% in 1991 to 46% in 2021. Next one, belief that the Bible is the accurate, reliable word of God, 70% in 91, 41% in 2021. The next one, belief that when they die, they will go to heaven only because they have confessed their sins and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, 39% in 2011, 30% in 2021. The last one, adults possessing a biblical worldview, 12% in 95, 6% in 2021. And we read this and we go, it's over. It's all hopeless. Friends, the church is still here. I've said this before, and I'm still convinced of this, that the light shines brightest when things are darkest. But church, we got to shine. Like, this is our time. It's not our time to just wait for the, the, the second coming of Jesus or the rapture to happen to take us out. Even though I know that we have those days or those weeks where we're sitting there going, Jesus, right now would be a great time to come. Because my kids are driving me crazy. It's like we just come up with reasons why. But followers of Jesus, and we jumped into that's our whole thing that we're supposed to be about right now. That Jesus actually just left the church to be witnesses of, hey, this is what he's done. And when people come to me, then I can explain it. But pretty much we're just waiting for heaven. Is that really all that we're supposed to do? Because is that what Jesus did when he showed up? And church, we're supposed to be acting like Jesus. Not just people who are waiting for him. So I don't believe that it's hopeless. I still believe the scriptures. I still believe that God is working. And hopefully we'll see this as we go through the passage. But starting back at verse 3, here goes Paul. He says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Notice the two things that Paul continually thanks God for because of what he's heard about the, the Christians in Colossae. The first is your faith in Christ Jesus. It's like, we've heard of it. Timothy's here with me. We've heard all about your faith. And that word faith, it's not just, hey, there's this belief that we have in God. Like, I know that he exists. But that word actually means this trust, state of complete dependability, promise, pledge, belief in the gospel. It actually means literally lean, lean your, whole, your whole weight upon something. So as you all are sitting in your chair, you practiced faith. 
I practiced faith when I sat down, knowing this is going to hold me. Guys, faith is not just I believe that there's a God. Faith is something that I believe there's a God, and therefore you should see that I believe that there's a God. I've used this equation for faith, and I'll continue to, that faith is what? Belief plus action. Belief plus action is faith. You believe in God, and here comes James. This would be the brother of Jesus. He's like, you believe in God? Good. But the demons believe in God, and at least they shudder. They have a response to their belief in God. But follower of Jesus, do we have this response to our belief in God? Or is it just, well, I believe that there's a God, and one day I get to go to heaven because I prayed this prayer, but right now, hey, this world, it's going to burn anyways, so we could just let it go. We'll wait for heaven and just be satisfied there. All the while forgetting what we've been left to do. Faith means, I believe this, and you will see what it is that I believe. Even if you don't hear me say a word, you should see my faith. And if people can't see my faith, then I can't call it that. I wrote this in my notes. I wrote, faith is not about belief in something. Rather, faith is about belief in someone and therefore living out that belief. The fathers of Jesus, we don't just believe a doctrine. We don't just believe in these ideas and this, these philosophy or these huge ideological points out here. It's not just, hey, God's a concept. No, I actually believe in Jesus, that it's all about him. Guys, these doctrines that we read about, and I believe they're vital. Like, we don't just get to make up our own stuff. We don't get to write our own scriptures. But do you realize that Jesus is the fulfillment? They're pointing to him. It's not just, I believe things. No, I believe in him. I believe in him, and you should be able to see how much I believe in him. My whole life is about him. Do you see the difference? Friends, I don't want a room full or a church full of just we're religious people that go through some traditional things. And I don't even think there's automatically something wrong with tradition. Unless tradition becomes the most important thing. It replaces Jesus. So why would he be so impressed with their faith? What's faith remind us of? Well, faith looks upward. It starts with God. And so faith looks upward. But he says, this is the other thing that I'm always thanking God for when it comes to you. He says, the love that you have for all the saints. The love that you have for all the saints. That word love is the word agape. And if you've been brought up in the church, hopefully you've at least heard this at least once. If you never have, here's a, here's a Greek word. Not because I know them, I know hardly any of them, but I know this one. And now you too can speak Greek because it's the most important one. It's the word agape. You heard of it? And we think, oh, so love, love, what is it? Love is just, you know when it, you know when it is. You know. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. That's all that it is. You know it's love when you know what it is. You ever had that conversation? Maybe you've brought it up because there's this thing. Hey, all we need is love. I mean, songs are written about love. Unless it's a country song. And then it's backwards. Like, it's, they don't like each other anymore. But, like, love is, it's just love. You know what it is? Nobody defines it. You just know what it is. When you find it, you know what it is because Disney tells you what it is. Like, when I have those feelings, that's love. But what if I told you that this word has nothing to do with any emotion? That it's an act, it's a matter of the will, it's a choice that one makes. Not dependent on whether or not I feel like doing it. 
It has everything to do with, I will love this person whether I'm loved in return. And I will do everything that I can to place their needs above my own, even when I don't feel like it. That's the love that we're called to. And church, is this the love that we're living out? Or is it more like this? If they don't show me respect, they don't love me. I don't have to love them. The only problem with that is that you are in disobedience, and I am in disobedience to the commands of God when I live like that. It's called sin. They don't deserve, and be careful when you start jumping into that mentality. Because, friends, what do we, what do we actually deserve but hell? That's what we all deserve, all of us. But by the grace of God, that's the difference. And because of that, it should cause me to look at people and it should break my heart that they don't know Christ and yet I still find myself struggling. Can I be honest? I still find myself struggling. Because aren't there just some people that just drive you nuts? Thank God somebody said yes. But what are we called to do? Love them. Why? Because I guarantee that I drive somebody nuts. It's weird how we always think that our perspectives are the only perspectives. My, the people I love, of course, absolutely. The people don't like me, well, there's something wrong with them. It's pretty selfish, isn't it? But this love, this agape love, I saw this description or this definition. Agape love involves faithfulness, commitment, and an act of the will. It is distinguished from the other types of love by its lofty moral nature and strong character. That sounds a lot more than I just fell into it. But it's a choice. It's a decision that is made. And this love is what describes God's love for us and the love that God fills us, his people, with. And notice that Paul says, your love for what? Think about it. Your love for all the saints. All the saints around the world. In other words, followers of Jesus, we can be so focused on me and mine that we forget about there's a world of followers of Jesus that we're supposed to just be as passionate about as me and mine. Guys, I feel like within this one verse, this one little statement, love for all the saints, there's supposed to be this unity that happens. That no matter where people are, what they're dealing with, guys, when we hear about followers of Jesus and they have these times where they're celebrating mountaintop experiences, we don't sit and go, well, how come they get that, but I don't? We celebrate with them. And when people go through really difficult times, we hurt with them and we provide and we help. When followers of Jesus are persecuted, we pray. We do everything we can because we have love for all the saints. And not just this community, but all of them. So where faith looks upward, I'm, I'm sorry, where, yeah, where faith looks upward, love flows outward. Guys, this world should know that they're dearly loved by Christians. Like it should be like that. It should be that, hey, I, I, as a Christian, I've heard some of the things that you believe like you believe that Jesus was like he's God and when he came as a baby, he was man and God at the same time? I do. That's weird. I know. You believe he was born of a virgin? I do. That's crazy. I know. Instead of trying to explain, well, it could happen. 
Because that doesn't happen more than once. Wait, you believe that a person that doesn't surrender their life to Christ will spend eternity in hell away from God? You believe that? Yeah. That is so close-minded. I know. It sounds like it. Man, I love you. Friends, are we okay to look different and to sound weird? We're holding to truth, right? Instead of trying to explain how it can make sense, what if we just believe it and are okay with being a little bit different? Because we actually believe it and we want people to come to Jesus. So this faith and this love that flowed out of their what? Flowed out of their hope. Look at verse 5 again. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. The word hope, it's a looking forward to in the confident expectation. It's not, I hope it happens. No, this is going to happen. But what's it connected to? The hope laid up for you in heaven. Guys, heaven. It's going to be awesome. I mean, do you believe it? Because most of our life, we're, we're saying things like this. God, I can't wait for you to come back, but not this year. I finally got engaged. And we're going to do our wedding. We'll do it sooner than later because I want to see you come back, but not, not at first. And then if you can wait, even if you come back, like give it a month after being married because, well, you know. And then after that happens, like, well, we really want kids, God, so if you could just hold off. I mean, I really want to see you face to face, but if, but if you could wait, because we honestly think that right now is the best that it could get. Guys, I'm convinced there are colors that we have never seen that will blow our minds. I do. I believe that we get to fly. So I will prove it. I've said this before. If I'm going to meet Jesus in the air, the only way to get there is to fly. And I will tear you apart on the way. I'm going to win. I'll be so fast in the air. I'll be slim. I'll be going for it. To meet him in the air, guys, think about it. Joy, constantly. No pain. No cancer. No death. No sickness. No school shootings. Perfect intimacy. The way that God intended it. With every single person right when we meet them. No struggle with sin. No hopelessness. presence of Jesus at its fullness, loving God and loving people with no limits. Guys, it's mind-blowing to think that Jesus went to prepare a place for us, and one day when he's done, he's going to come and get us to take us back. I'm like, dang, you created something in seven days or six days that's blown our minds. What is this place going to be like? Guys, laughter and joy. Guys, I don't think there will be one door lock. There won't be one security system on a home. It's never dark. For those that say, I have a fear of the dark, do you realize that God himself is the light? We get to eat. And you don't have to count calories. You don't have to do intermittent fasting or keto. Bread is awesome in heaven. And donuts are blessed. I mean, it's just going to be awesome. You can't die, so just chug out. 
but it's Jesus. Okay, so you realize that Jesus has been on the throne, and when you read the book of Revelation, myriads of millions, so it's like hundreds of millions of angels are surrounding the throne in constant praise and adoration of Jesus. And never once have they been bored. They never thought, man, this song's going long. Man, my knees are buckling. How long do I have to keep my arms up? Because I'm starting to feel the weight. Are my pits wet? Nobody's freaking out about it. It's just him. It's all about him. It's just worship of Jesus and fellowship with the Spirit. And we're with him forever. Guys, that's the hope that is laid up for us in heaven. And that word laid up for us means it can never be taken away. It is secure. It's yours. Jesus is waiting to give it all to you. And because the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Today, we live by faith. And we love. We live out this faith in Jesus. And we love. And when we don't feel like we can, this is what we do. Holy Spirit, I know you love this person. Help me love them the way that you do. Instead of faking it. Just pray, ask God, help me. Help me love them. Not just love them based on my opinion. Help me love them like Jesus loves them. Guys, I don't know about you. When I think of that heaven, don't you feel like a kid, hopefully, a little kid on Christmas Eve? Like, I can't get here fast enough. There's just nothing that compares with that. But we have a call now. We have a call to live out faith. We have a call to love the saints and those who don't know Christ. And this hope is what's supposed to propel us. This hope propels us to live out this faith. How important is hope? And how do you get it? I wish there was a different way. Listen to Paul as he wrote in Romans chapter 5. He says in verse 3, but we also boast in our afflictions. Oh, crud. How important are afflictions? Friends, they are so important and they're horrible to go through, right? I don't know a lot of people that just sit and go, I cannot wait for the next affliction. I'm counting down the days that life sucks again. Listen to what he says. We also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. Proven, proven character produces hope. Guys, I don't know how people, and if you're here and don't know the Lord, this isn't a judgment. I don't know how you get through life without Jesus. I don't know where you get it. When you go through a difficult situation, it's just life, right? You just think, well, that's just life. This is the card, these are the cards I was dealt. Oh well. But I sit there and go, no, there's a loving God who, who for some reason has allowed this to come to me. And therefore, there is a purpose that he's working in me of greater value than I could ever imagine. And so this is what you do in the midst of it. God, this is hard. Please help me. Help me trust you in the process. And you can ask. We can ask to have it taken away, but if he doesn't take it away just right when we ask, you keep, you keep, we keep trusting him. God, help me. Help me trust you. Why? He says it. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So can I ask you a question? Are you hopeful? 
Are you hopeful right now? Are you certain that God's going to come through? Have you seen him do it in the past? And do we think that he, well, he did in the past? I'm not sure if he'll do it now. What if I wasn't good enough for God to actually do something? Isn't it beautiful that there's still grace? And don't get me wrong. I believe that if I was, if I was just living in complete rebellion against God, realize, still realize, that God in his quote-unquote wrath, Romans chapter 1, he will hand me over to my sin. He'll hand me over to what I'm rebelling in. For what purpose, though? Just to let it jack me up because he can't stand me? No, 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 no. So that he can show his what? Kindness and bring me to repentance. He's got to get me. It points to the point where I have nothing so that I'll actually look up to the one who's everything. Because hope does not disappoint. So we go back to verse 3. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you, secured for you, never to be taken away from you for you in heaven. For this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understand the grace of God in truth. What's his heart? What's his, man, the heartbeat behind Paul? It's this word of the truth, which is the what? The gospel. It's the gospel. Followers of Jesus, whenever we get ashamed or embarrassed of the, of the word gospel, you can just call it the good news. Whenever we get ashamed or embarrassed of the message of the good news of the gospel, then there's something wrong with us, never with the gospel. Friends, the gospel is what the world needs more than anything. More than anything, the gospel. Followers of Jesus, we were left on a planet to express, to explain, to show the message, the great news of the gospel. And when God created everything, and he gave responsibility to man, he looks at Adam, I want you to work the ground and keep it. Oh, you can't do it by yourself. I know that. I got to create a woman for you because she's going to get it done. She's going to help you along, keep you focused. Guys, for two chapters, it was happening. And in the third chapter, we broke it. It's easy for us to want to blame Adam and Eve. And yet, we would have done the same thing. They fell. They rebelled. She was deceived. He rebelled. And the curse came. God cursed. And yet, in that same chapter was God's remedy. When you read the Old Testament, guys, it's this reminder. What's the purpose of this fat, the fat part of the book? It's to show us, hey, you can't get to God. You can't. Guys, you mess up on one thing in here. Then you're deserving of what? Separation from God. That's what we deserve. I mess up on one part. That's what I deserve. And yet sin has passed down from person to person. Like I'm conceived into sin. I didn't become a sinner because I sinned. I sinned because I'm a sinner. You get into Leviticus and all these sacrifices are put in place. This, is, this blood needs to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. Present this sacrifice and this offering and this offering. This sacrifice, why? So you can be forgiven. And yet the writer of Hebrews is saying it's impossible for the blood of bulls or goats to bring about true forgiveness. And so what was the purpose? All of that pointing to what it is that Jesus would come and do. That I can't stand before God and show him any merit. 
I can't say, hey, look what I've done. Because all I have to offer him is my sin. For by grace you've been saved. Through faith. And this not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so no one would boast. Why would he do it? For God so loved the world. Here's what I'm going to challenge you with. It blows my mind when I hear, I'll hear that part of a verse, and I'll hear some people who want to get ultra-theological. Don't get me wrong, I like theology, unless it keeps free people from obedience. And they'll go, what did God mean by the world? Like every person, he loved every person, or is it just the chosen? And I go, how dare you? Don't bring God down into your theology. Let God be the theology. Let's just go with what the word says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Why? He didn't come into the world to condemn it but to save it. But Jesus will return one day to judge. But friends, us being right with God, his work. All those Old Testament sacrifices pointed to what Jesus would endure on the cross. That Jesus took the full and complete wrath of God. He's the perfect lamb, the spotless lamb who would take away the sin of the world. And on that cross, he took my sin and your sin and sin of every single person who would ever live. All the weight placed on him, all the punishment was supposed to happen to us. He took it upon himself. Why? So we could be with him. Too good to be true. Welcome to the gospel. That's what the world needs to hear. While we're, in, while we're sinners, Christ died for us. All have sinned and fall short of his glory. The wage of sin is death, but the gift of God. Guys, that's the beauty of the gospel. That's it. Guys, when it gets us, like when it gets into us, oh, we've just got to make sure people hear it. And yeah, I get just as nervous. I do. I don't just sit there and go, who's today? First person I see, that's it. The pest control person came by the other uh, couple weeks ago. I'm like, this is it. I can't, I think her name's Frankie. So I opened the door, hey, Frankie. She goes, first thing she said is, how's your dog? And I'm like, oh, we're going to go there. So I started explaining Bella and, and I wanted, to, it didn't come out. I started going, I should do it and I didn't. And I was like, you failure. Gosh, I want to be that guy. I just can't keep his mouth shut because I believe the gospel. But he says this gospel is bearing fruit and increasing. Bearing fruit means there's this growth happening in you. As a person, as a follower of Jesus, this gospel is still working in you and you're growing. If you're a follower of Christ, do you see a change from when you first came to Christ to now? Do you see change? He's like, no, I see nothing. It's gotten worse. Then is it Christ you surrendered to? Because the Holy Spirit does not sing, go, I can't get this one. Man, that Brian, he's a tough one. Friends, if, you, if it's gotten, I'm not saying life's harder. I'm saying you do not see any evidence of what it is that Christ, what walking with Christ is supposed to look like. If you see no difference, then it was it Christ you surrendered to or was it just church? He says this gospel is bearing fruit. You're growing 
And man, it's increasing. People are surrendering to Jesus. That's what he's meaning by this increasing of the gospel. Guys, you realize that in Africa in 1900, there were approximately 10 million Christians there. By 2000, there were 360 million. And by 2025, the conservative estimates see that number rise into 633 million. Guys, in Latin America, the estimates for 2025 are 640 million. In Asia, the estimates for 2025 are 460 million. Guys, the gospel's increasing. I've brought it up before. The fastest growing church in the world is where? Iran. Where you're persecuted if you follow Christ. You could be thrown into prison if not killed because you say that you're a follower of Jesus. And the church is exploding. In the midst of persecution, the church is exploding. And then why are we always praying that we'd be comfortable? Is it possible that God is doing a work? And maybe we start to experience a little bit pushback against the Christian culture that we're so used to. Push against this. Why? Because Jesus wants to refine his church. Then he wants to... He wants to do this new movement of the Holy Spirit that wouldn't it be amazing? And I believe it can happen. What if the fastest growing church in the world is right here? What if? Instead of just looking at statistics, let's just go back to the gospel and make sure people hear the gospel. For those who've been around uh, the church world for a while, I'll say the name uh, David Jeremiah. Anybody know that name? Been around, I mean, he's, he's 81. He's still pastoring this quote unquote mega church down by San Diego. Still preaching weekly, still doing the thing. The guy knows end times. I, I don't, when I read his stuff, I'm going, how do you know all this? I would love to commit myself to that, but I'll just let you do it. And I'll read what you write. He makes this statement in a the, in the book called Is This the End? He said, We need another spark today, another touch of the fire of heaven. And there, watch this next part. It's not just me who's saying this, okay? I know I bring it up a lot, but I'm not the only one. America, not, America cannot be saved by politics. It's not going to be saved by Republicans, Democrats, or independents. While we need wise and godly national leaders, the real answer to our problem is not political, but spiritual. We are not going to be saved by our economists or educators. The answer is not found in being liberal or conservative, but, but in being committed to Jesus Christ. That's it. Guys, that's what we're supposed to be committed to. You will never hear me say, here's how you should vote. Because you may at some point go, I don't even know if I should. My conscience is not clear if I should vote or not. Then it's your freedom. But the point of the church is the gospel. And we can have opinions and we want to impact the community, but not at the neglect of sharing the gospel. Are we so focused on changing the temporary that we neglect the eternal? Shouldn't we be impacting both? But it has to be the gospel. So do I believe that God is at work? Yeah. I got to lead a young man to Christ a few months ago. Not because I'm great. <laughs> it just came up. Like he's talking about things and it's like, well, we're at dinner. I haven't paid yet. I got to try it. So I'm, every time I'm going to lead someone to Christ, I'm going to go to the back abbey in Claremont because there's something happened there. Over a burger, 
He surrenders his life to Christ, joins our D group a couple weeks later, and he's growing. And all we're doing is reading the word, and we're in the mean part of the Bible. We're in the Old Testament, and he's getting this insight. And guys, it's so cool to just listen to him. Oh my gosh, I'm not sitting here preaching to you. You're getting it. Friends, we've had a couple kids from Ignite City who've surrendered their life to Christ in the last couple months. And I listen, I go, come on, like this is awesome. And I didn't ask this young lady, I won't say her name. We have a high school kid who's raising support and going off to a mission trip in Africa in the summer. Why? Because she just wants to go. Friends, we've seen parents dedicate their children and their parenting to Jesus. We have G groups going on. We've got home churches that are gathering. Guys, people are expressing their needs and their needs are being met. Our church is being awakened to the statement, your mission field starts in your zip code. I had a phone call from Pete Dewhurst, if some of you guys might know him, and I asked, hey, can I share this? He said, absolutely. So he's, he was at Starbucks, and he saw one of the workers, the worker's super happy, and so he, he, he mentioned it. And so he walks out, and he goes, there's just something telling me I need to go back in. So he went back in, and he goes, dude, you are so happy. And then he goes like this. He goes, you are so happy. Are you born again? That's like, you went Billy Graham on him. Like, you just threw that born against. Like, are you born again? And he said, the guy's face was like, what? If you don't know the lingo and you hear someone going, are you born again? That sounds a little weird. Are you born again? He goes, what are you talking about? He goes, oh, you just sound really happy. And then he said, I changed the subject. He's like, now I got to go back and try to keep that relationship going. He's like, he didn't, he didn't close the deal, but at least he opened the door. I didn't spur him on. I didn't say, did you do it today, Pete? He did it. And I'll keep challenging us, as well as myself. Who's the one this week? Who's the one? Or who's the one today? Guys, I listen to this, and then watch. This is how it all started. I got to start landing the plane. Verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has, made, and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Epaphras, this common name during the days of Paul. So many people would have been named Epaphras. Seems like he came to Christ during Paul's two-year ministry, two- or three-year ministry, while he's in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, around verse 10. So Epaphras comes, think about it, he's hanging with Paul. But what's he do? He goes home. He could have stayed there in this incredible ministry in Ephesus and making an impact, getting to hang with Paul, learn from Paul. But what's he do? He hears the gospel, goes home to Colossae, this rural little podunk town, and shares Jesus. And people come to Christ. And the church in Colossae was started because of Epaphras. And the only reason we know Epaphras is because of Paul mentioning him in this four little chapter letter. And one other time in Philemon. But Colossae was changed because somebody went home and made sure they got to hear about Jesus. Nothing flashy, just faithful. J.D. Greer said this in his book called The Gospel, or Just Gospel. He says this. He says, I was once sharing the gospel with a girl named Rhonda. After talking for quite some time, she said, I couldn't believe what you believe. 
it would wreck my life. I said, why? She said, if I believe that what you believe, that my friends were condemned and salvation could only be found by believing in Jesus, I would approach each of them. In fact, every person I met on my hands and knees and plead with them to believe in Jesus. I would never stop pleading, never stop weeping until I'd convinced everyone to believe. Now, do we get it? Epaphras simply went home. That's all he did. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus delivers this uh, naked demon-possessed man. That's, remember, that's where they get out of the boat. Naked demon-possessed man greets them as they get out of the boat. Awkward greeting. Delivers them from the demon. They put some clothes on him. And then the man, look in verse 18 of chapter 5. As Jesus was getting the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said, go home. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to, procl- and to proclaim in the Decapolis, the 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Jesus didn't let him go on the trip. He says, no, 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 no. You gotta go home. Just go home and tell everybody what happened. Tell everyone how great God is. That's it. Guys, I don't know that we have to prove anything. We just need to proclaim how good God is. As the worship team came, comes up, got a text. I checked in on, on David, David Cherry, right over here. I asked if I could share it. I said, how are things going? He just said, hey, there's been some stress in my life and I had to go see the doctor and he's in the ER and doctor comes in. And I love the way he said it. A doctor walking in and he just says, you're Okay. Do you know who's in charge? And then David said that he pointed up. And David's like, wait, is there another person I should go see in the hospital? And then the doctor looks at him and says, Jesus. He will take care of you. You are going to be okay. You know why I love that? It's just because the doctor found the one. And in that moment... He could have just said, here's a prescription, get out, he goes, wait, wait, you're going to be okay. You know who's in charge, right? Jesus. He's going to take care of you. And so what if some of you need to hear the same thing today? You're okay. You know who's in charge? Jesus. He will take care of you. You're going to be okay. You're going to make it. How do I know? Friends, if Jesus pulled off Easter, what we face, why would he pull off Easter and leave us after that? No. He gave us his Holy Spirit. You're going to be okay. And if all you have to hope on right now Is heaven? Oh, that's a great thing to hope on. That's a beautiful thing to hope on. But if you don't know Christ, you don't have a relationship with him, and you are not in right relationship with God, and you're not forgiven, but the beauty of the gospel is that you can be. I would love to talk to you about that, but right there in your seat, you can just say, Jesus, you're Lord, you're Master. I believe you died on a cross, came back from the dead, and I'm calling out to you to save me. Like you surrender your life and you become a disciple of Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes into you and everything changes.
I'd love to know that happened. I would come up and talk to me or pull someone next to you and say, this just happened. Friends, it's the gospel. And as long as God lets me be in this community and leading this community, that will be what we're about. That, the gospel. And people need to hear it. Before I pray, a reminder, friends, this is a time where we take communion as a community. If you didn't get the elements, uh, they're in the back at the Connect Center. You can grab them during, if you want to. And if you don't want to take communion, it's totally fine today. This is a time for Christians to remember what it is that Jesus did for us. The bread is his body broken for us. It, re- it represents his body broken for us. So we take it in remembrance of him. The cup, the juice that's in there, is the representation of Christ's blood that was shed for us for the forgiveness of sin. Well, this is what happens before you take it. All I ask, and according to the scriptures, that you would ask God, God, is there anything in my life that is sin? That I might confess it, agree with you that it's sin, and repent from it. That you take your time on that. And then during this last song, when you are ready, you take communion on your own. As this remembrance, but we're doing it as a community, but it's, it's, I think it should be personal as well. You're asking the Lord, God, convict me. You say, well, Brian, what if I'm not a Christian? And this isn't a time for you. And it's not a judgment thing. But this is a time for us as followers of Jesus to remember Jesus' sacrifice for us because of his grace for us. Does that make sense? So you take when you're ready, when you've dealt with things with God. We'll close with this last song. Can I pray for us? Father, we thank you that you so loved us that you gave your son. Jesus, we thank you that you laid down your life and you took it up again because you love us. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're in us because you love us. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your body broken, your blood shed. God, I pray this is a blessing to us and to you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you know.